You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Good afternoon. A reading from the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 2, 1 through 7. To the angels of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God bless the reading of his word. those of you that are joining us online. You know, I remembered when my wife and I met, Jeannie and I met in college, and we had Spanish class together, you know? So it's really her fault that I don't know Spanish very well because, man, I just could only focus on her. And I wasn't, when I was around her, I, I wasn't even thinking about Spanish. I was thinking more about French, you know what I'm saying? But anyways, I just thought she was so cute, and I, I don't wanted to meet her. And so we, we really connected and started dating and we start going out and it became evident while we were dating that we were falling in love and we loved each other. We wanted to be married. So I had to think of a creative way to propose marriage. So I took her out to this swan lake, right? We were out by this lake and the swans are going by there. And it was at night and we were sitting on a blanket and literally there were a billion stars in the sky that night. It was just beautiful. You could see them all. And I had this little ring that I had purchased in a little fuzzy box, you know, in my pocket. And I kissed her. And when I pulled away from the kiss, I opened the little box. And this is where single guys, you need to take notes because this worked out really, really well. Okay. There, that little diamond, as small as it was, it was literally glistening in the moonlight that night. It was enchanting. I'll just tell you that right now. It was enchanting. And so I asked her, will you marry me? And she thanked the Lord. She said, yes. So she said yes. And she was so excited. We went around campus, you know, and you know how girls, when they get engaged, they get all of a sudden really left-handed all the time. It's like, hi, hi, how's it going? Notice anything different? Hi. That was her, right? Walking around campus. And so we were just so in love, you know, it was so exciting. And then we were about to graduate from college and our marriage hit, right? We, We got married and I brought a wedding picture of when we got married. And I know I looked the same and Jeannie's changed a lot, of course, but you know, I look the same. You guys know that. But then we just continued excited in love, you know, and the love continued. And then I I went to seminary, went to seminary together, you know, and I was getting my master's degree in theology and all that kind of stuff in seminary. And we're so in love. And then we moved down here to San Antonio to be a part of a church plant out on the Northwest side, out in suburbs out there, you know, and we were just still so in love and enjoying each other's company. But I got really busy with planting a church and she got really busy at work and our love grew cold grew colder. Now I'll have more to say about that in just a minute, but 
I want to make something real clear to you, especially if you're new to church and you're what we call a spiritual investigator. You're trying to figure out if God is for real or legit. And what I want you to understand is the metaphor for God's relationship to you is a love relationship, a marriage. And I want to ask some of you a question. Those of you that have been Christ followers or Christians for a long time, has your love grown cold towards him? Let me drill down that on that a little bit more. You're not like doing a bunch of wrong stuff, some of you. You're, like, you're not robbing banks and doing crack, okay? But you're just not feeling it like you used to feel it. Have you left your first love? Well, hopefully through the text today, we'll be able to point you back to your first love, your love with Jesus. And last week, we started this little teaching series through the mysterious book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And we found motivation from Revelation to live now with the end in mind. We want to live our lives right now with the end in mind, you know? And so if the big idea of last week and the whole series is live with the end in mind, then the big idea for today is to love with the end in mind. Can you say that big idea with me out loud, whether you're online or here in the cameo? Ready? Here we go. Love with the end in mind. Now, as we say it a second time, when you say the word love, let's put a little love into it. Ready? Here we go. Let's try it again. Ready? Love with the end in mind. You guys are making me feel good. That was romantic. I love it. So anyway, John wrote this letter to seven churches, and we're going to study those seven churches over the next several weeks. And I brought a picture today of a map of the seven churches of Revelation and the island of Patmos where John was imprisoned or in exile when this revelation came to him. Now, part of the reason that I wanted to show this to you on a map is some of you who are new to church need to understand that the things that are in the Bible are not mythical fairy tales, but they're very real, historical, archaeological, archaeologically verifiable places in the world. This stuff is real. And here's another question. Why did Jesus tell John to write to the seven churches when there were clearly more than seven churches in the area? Well, part of the answer to that is that in the Bible, seven is a number of completion based upon the Jewish, uh, I guess, Sabbath cycle was a seven-day cycle. So seven is seen as a number of completion or Perfection. So it could be that John is saying, hey, he's including all of the churches, not just for that time, but uh, all the churches in existence in the area and the world at that time and even churches today. Now, another reason why John could have done it this way is because of something called the seven church ages theory. The seven church ages theory. And this is a theory that suggests that Revelation is a prophetic vision and that the seven churches of Revelation are a prophetic vision of different seasons of church history, not just then, but also up until this time. So let me show you this theory in the form of a chart. And if you look at the first church mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, it would be the Ephesian church age. And so that could have been in the past from when John received Revelation, which would have been 30 AD and the church was known as being very hard working, doctrinally pure, resilient, but they had lost their first love. And look at the next church, the Smyrna church age. So the message to the church at Smyrna was one of bitter persecution. And that happened in 54 AD. There were like 10 of these Roman emperors who persecuted the church. Many Christians were fed to the lions. Christians were burned at the stake. Christians were losing their jobs and economic opportunities. But then look at the Pergamum church age. This is a warning to the church at Pergamum that they weren't to mix false teachings with Christianity. Well, if you fast forward to 312 AD, the church and state got in bed, if you will, and after Constantine declared the empire to be Christian, a lot of pagan practices slipped into the church, into Christianity. Well, then look at the Thyatira 
church age. The message to Thyatira was you need to not be disobedient and embrace dark teachings or it's going to lead to sickness. And if you fast forward in history to 607 AD and even up to the 13 and 1400s, you would see what even secular Historians are going to call it the Dark Ages. The light of the gospel of Christ was very dim at that time. And the bubonic plague hit and millions of people got sick and died. And then there's the Sardis church age. The message to Sardis was wake up. Well, an awakening happened in 1520 AD. The Reformation happened and Martin Luther woke up the church by nailing what's called the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg church door. And he emphasized things like by faith alone is how you come to relationship with God. Sola Scriptura, which is the scriptures alone. And he emphasized the priesthood of the believer. And so you didn't have to just rely upon the priest to get you to God, but you could go straight to God yourself. And then there was the Philadelphia church age where the Philadelphia church was the church of the open door. And we see in 1750 AD, the door opened for the gospel to spread through these revivals that hit in Europe and they spread to the British Isles and then they spread to the United States. And that was the beginning of something called the modern missionary movement where missionaries were sent out all over the world to share the love of Jesus. And then look at the last one, the Laodicea church age. The Laodiceans were warned against their prosperity and being spiritually lukewarm. And a lot of historians would say, hey, look, if you look at the church from 1900 until today, not every church is lukewarm, but many churches are morally compromised, doctrinally compromised. They have a prosperity to the neglect of Christian spirituality. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying each one of the Revelation churches in detail. This week, we're looking at the church in Ephesus. Now, of all the seven cities that are mentioned there, Ephesus is the one that perhaps is the most powerful and well-known in the ancient world. It was a significant trade center. The Agora was there in Ephesus. The Agora is kind of like a mashup of like Amazon.com, H-E-B, and Walmart, okay? It's where you buy and sell. People from all over the world came into the harbor at Ephesus, and they brought their wares and their goods to sell at the Agora. And in order to get into the Agora, you had to proclaim that Domitian, Emperor Domitian, is God, the emperor of Rome. And the Christians obviously had a problem with making that type of declaration as they would try and get into the Agora and buy buy and sell. And another thing about Ephesus was that they worshiped Diana, this fertility goddess. And I brought a picture of Diana today. She was this mythical goddess of fertility. The Romans would call her, her Roman uh, name would be Artemis of the Ephesians. And uh, they had to do all kinds of vile things to worship Artemis. In fact, her temple was in Ephesus. And the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. That temple with the size of a football field and a half. So it was a big old temple dedicated to Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. And when you would walk into the temple, there would be both male and female prostitutes making themselves available to the people of Ephesus who were coming in to worship Diana. And there would be these vile practices where they would engage with those temple prostitutes in order to worship Diana there. The Ephesians were also known for their magic arts. And so they were very much into the dark pagan magical practices of the day. And what happened was, is when uh, people became Christians and people came, became Christians in Ephesus, they were so devoted to Jesus that they took all their magic arts books and they piled them up and they burned those books. They were so devoted to Jesus. And so the, Ephes the, the Ephesians had some good things going for them. And look at what else Jesus said to them in Revelation chapter two, verse six. This is you know, according to Jesus, a good thing. He says, Jesus says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Nicolaitans were doing something that Jesus did not like. And so 
Your question to me is, Pastor Doug, who are the Nicolaitans? I mean, I know about Nickelodeon, but I don't know about the Nicolaitans. I mean, what's that all about? So, look, the, the Nicolaitans, historians are trying to piece together these little tidbits of information from history to figure out who these people were. And a lot of historians would say that there was this guy, he was a Jewish convert to Christianity named Nicholas. And then he went awry. He strayed from God, and he started to mix in these pagan forms of morality or immorality, if you will, with Christian spirituality. In fact, Clement of Alexandria, an ancient source, said that the Nicolaitans have the morality of goats, okay? And if you've never been around goats, that is not a compliment for sure, right? So uh, they had the morality or immorality of goats. And so my sense is that the Nicolaitans probably had a twist of Christianity, but then they would justify going to the Temple of Diana and hooking up with temple prostitutes, see? They had a morality of the world with a twist of Christianity. Now, I was interested in an article written by an irreligious guy named Ben Sixsmith. The article is called The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. And in this article, Ben Sixsmith is correcting or observing how a lot of conservative Christians are very much into a lot of money with a twist of Christianity. And then he says a lot of progressive Christians are into left-wing social causes with a twist of Christianity. And he goes on in the article to say, so if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become Christian? I'm not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Isn't that interesting? See, because what Jesus knows is that the world outside the church, they don't want something just like they are. They already have that, and they already know that that doesn't work. But Jesus encouraged and commended the Ephesian believers because they didn't live just like everybody else. They were actually different. Look at what, also they, what Jesus also says they got right. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for a namesake, and you have not grown weary. And so he encourages the Ephesians, it's like, hey, you guys work hard for God. You guys are resilient. You don't bail out when things get hard. You know, you don't just walk away from God and bail out on him. And the Ephesians also rooted evil out of their church. And they could spot false prophets or they could spot false doctrines because they knew their Bibles. They knew their Bibles very well. And it's no wonder they knew their Bibles well. They had great teachers. They had Aquila and Priscilla. They had, as a teacher, the Apostle Paul. They had Timothy was one of their teachers. And then later they had John the Apostle as one of their pastors. So they were very well taught. They had a lot of things going for them. They knew the scriptures. The Ephesian church was a great church. But there was a black fly in their Chardonnay, as some would say. They had a problem. And that's the focus of our conversation today. Let me show you their problem in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned your first love. Jesus wanted them to love with the end in mind. They were getting so many things right. They were getting everything right except the most important thing that you have to have right. And that's love for Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. It's like one pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, 
G. Campbell Morgan said, no amount of activity in the king's service will make up for the neglect of the king. It's like they did all this stuff for King Jesus, but they neglected their love for King Jesus. And as you hear some of this, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I feel that way sometimes. Like I just have left my first love for God and it's just not white hot. It's not exciting. I don't feel anything for it. Well, how do you get your first love back? If that's the case, how do you get it back? So look at the next verse, Revelation 2, 5. Jesus says, remember from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus gives the Ephesians two ways to come back to their first love. And the first one is to remember, remember. Memory is a powerful thing, isn't it? Do you remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Those of you Christians, do you remember when you first came to know him and you first felt a passion for him? Do you remember those days where you just couldn't wait to get alone in your bedroom or wherever you would go and read his word? And it's like for the first time in your life, it was like coming off the page at you and landing in your heart and it inspired you and motivated you and you loved praying and talking to God and connecting with him. You loved him so much that you wanted other people to know his love. I mean, you weren't just going to keep it to yourself, but it's just like when you get engaged to someone, ladies, and you go, I'm his. Uh, Hi, I'm his. I want to show off that I'm engaged to this person that I love, and I want you to know him. And it's not like you were wanting to preach at people or judge people. It's nothing like that at all. It's just that you share with other people the one that you love, don't you? Do you remember when you felt that loving passion, your first love for Jesus in your heart? But look at the next thing that Jesus says, and this is not a popular concept to talk about in today's day and age. He says, repent, repent. And if you're new to church, to repent just means to change your mind so that it leads to a change in actions. You change your mind so that you can change your actions, see? Change your mind about your sin and dysfunction and agree with God about sin so that God will help you to change your actions and the way that you live, see? You make a choice. Sometimes the choice begins with a spoken word of faith. It's making a declaration, something like this. I'm making a choice to change. I'm making a choice to change. So could we say that declaration out loud together for those that you would like to? And when you do it, I'm going to kind of kind of point to you, but my finger's going to be going back this way because what I, what I want you to do is when you make the declaration, point at yourself and say, I'm making the choice to change. Ready? Here we go. I'm making the choice to change. Maybe it's like, like I need to do, thump yourself on the chest a little bit when you say it. Ready? Let's try it in. Here we go. Ready? I'm making the choice to change. Look, city, tribe. We're not like pointing the finger at people out there in the world. We're saying right, right in here, we're making the choice to change right now. So look, what happens if you and I don't make the choice to change if we don't repent? and return to our first love. Jesus says, if you don't turn back, I will come and take away your lampstand. You say, what's that all about? Well, those churches had these menorahs, right? Jewish candelabra with candles on it that would light up and your light is like your influence. Your light is your influence. So Jesus says, look, if you don't return to your first love, I take your influence. You won't have influence anymore. And this is this text, as much as I'm trying to be nice about it, because you know, I love you and I don't like to point the finger at anyone, but there are some among us that it's time to repent and turn to your first love, or he will take away your lampstand, your influence. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God disciplines those whom he loves, the Bible says, and he loves you. And you know how I know? 
I've had my lampstand removed before. Sure enough. And I've told you many times that one time I had to be removed from the ministry and fired from the ministry because of my own stuff, my own sin, see? And I was starting over. I went to work for a company where I had zero influence. Nobody cared what I thought. Nobody cared what I said. I had zero influence at that point in my life. And you know what I I had to do? I had to do just as Jesus suggested to the Ephesians. And I had to remember what I had done at first. And so every day, every morning, I got in my Bible during that time and I read the word and I prayed and I talked to God and I had a little notebook and I was writing down everything that God was speaking to me in and through his word. And when I would go to work, God was doing these things in me and I couldn't help but share with other people the love that God was depositing into me during those days. And it wasn't a preachy thing or a judgy thing. It was just, look, I want you to know about the love that I'm experiencing from God. See, I was returning to my first love. See, first love. So look at what happens when you return This is the good news where Jesus says in Revelation 2, 7, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, the tree of life. If you return to love of Jesus, you experience the tree of life. Remember those of you that have read your Bible, if you hadn't back in Genesis, there was something called the tree of life. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost access to eating from the tree of life. And you'll also see the tree of life again, like in the Proverbs, and the Proverbs equate wisdom and hope with a tree of life. And just when the people of God, the Jewish people lost hope, they hadn't heard from God in a long time. God came down. And Jesus died on a tree to give them life because Jesus is the tree of life. Now, the Ephesian people that we're reading about in Revelation, they would have known of a significant tree. And it was located in the temple of Diana. So when they would go in there, there was this ancient tree in there. You know what they called it? The tree of life. And they were kind of superstitious. So some women who had problems getting pregnant dealt with dealing with infertility they would go up to that tree in the diana temple and they would touch it because they believed that it would help them get pregnant or people who wanted like financial blessing on their lives or prosperity or something they would go up and they would touch this tree in the temple of diana and so what jesus is saying here is he's saying hey look that is not a tree of life the perversion of The temple of Diana is not a tree of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that you eat from me and you will receive life. First love is the way to experience the tree of life. First love is kind of like newlyweds. You ever see newlyweds? New couples, you know, they're... They're all excited, right? And they're they're all over each other. And you're just going, "Ah," you know, right? Quit that. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. Okay, you too. But but at the same time, it's kind of cool, isn't it? It's beautiful that two people are so in love, isn't it? It's like, so our love with Jesus is kind of like these newlyweds. And we see this in Song of Solomon. Look at chapter five, verse 10, where this newlyweds are together. And look at what this little bride says. She says, my beloved is the chiefest of 10,000. He is altogether lovely. Some translations would say he's the fairest of 10,000. Do you feel that about Jesus? That he's the chiefest of 10,000. He's altogether lovely. Lovely. There's a woman that I read about in history named Teresa of Avila. She's not to be confused with Mother Teresa because Teresa of Avila lived in the 1500s, but she was a Spanish noblewoman who left her wealth to seek God. And she saw herself as being married to God. It's like a spiritual betrothal. So she wasn't married to any man, but to God. 
this is the way she saw it. And so some of you who are single, do you know people around you that make you feel like you can't understand first love unless you're married? Well, that's not the case, see? Jesus wasn't married. Teresa of Avila was not married. But listen to how she described her first love union to God. She says, spiritual marriage is like rain falling from heaven into a river or stream, becoming one with the same. This is the union that she felt with Jesus. And she talks about the emotions or the pleasure of her first love marriage to God. And she says, he draws her, talking about how God draws her. He draws her so closely to him that she is like one who swoons from excess of pleasure and joy, awakening from that sleep and heavenly inebriations. She is like one amazed and stupefied. It seems to me that she can say these words, your breasts are better than wine. So the picture here is of this newlywed young lady who comes to God and God is like making her drunk. She's inebriated. She's swooning. She's stumbling around drunk with pleasure from the love of God. And when Jesus brings her into his chest, she says, man, that place at your chest, your breast is better than wine. Does that describe our love, first love for Jesus? You know, earlier I told you how Jeannie and I were so in love and then we, our love grew cold and we had to repent of some things, no doubt, especially me. And then we had to remember what brought us together to begin with and the love returned. Don't be discouraged if you're in a marriage that some of the feelings of love are gone. Remember what drew you together to begin with and God can bring the love back like a first love kind of thing and picture a first love remember is those newlyweds but God is not just newlyweds but God is oldlyweds too have you ever seen old people that really love each other they've been married for years of course we all know those old couples that have been giving each other hell for years, you know, and they hate each other, right, you know? But we also know that these couples that they just really, it's so sweet. They're old and they're more in love now than they've ever been, you know? And that's what Jeannie and I are aspiring to. See, God brought the love back into our lives and the love came back. And this year we're gonna celebrate 33 years of being married today. That's pretty cool, huh? That's good, right? But look, now we're not just looking at the younger couples and say, hey, we want to be giddy like that. But we're looking at the people that are like way even older than us, you know? And what was interesting to me is during this pandemic, there have been some couples that one of them was in a nursing home, right? And these couples were separated during quarantine and couldn't be with each other. And I saw these videos online of these couples when they were reunited after having been apart, sometimes for the first time in their married lives. Do you wanna see some of those videos? I knew you would, so I brought them. So let's take a look at some of these couples. wondered how God feels about you? For some of you, he's saying, you know, you've been away from me for too long. You're not robbing banks, but you know what I'm saying? You've been away from me. You haven't really loved me in a long time, and I'm longing for you like these couples long for each other. That's the way I feel about you, he says. 
says, please return to your first love. That's what he wants. So we decided to carve out a little space in this service where if you wanted to come and kneel and pray at the front on the rugs, if you're at home, you can do so in front of your screen that you're watching on. But here in a minute, we're going to stand up and I'm going to invite you to come. First, if you've left your first love and you're like, I, you know, I know, I know. I know I need to take like a faith step and walk down there and kneel and say, Jesus, I want to return to you as my first love, right? But it's also for those of us that have our first love intact, but we're just saying, hey, Jesus, I want to make sure that you, there's no misunderstanding here. And I just want to say to you, Jesus, that I don't want anything, whether it's my career or hobbies or religious works even. I don't want to do anything apart from your love. And I want to make sure you know that I'm still passionate about you, Jesus. And I want to make sure you know that I'm going around like I'm his, you know, I, I belong to Jesus. And Jesus is my first love. Jesus is my identity. Jesus is what I'm passionate about. Jesus is who I want to be inebriated by and stumbling around drunk with your love. Jesus, that's what I want. So can we stand up together? And before we start singing and stuff about how we feel about him, and before anyone takes a step of faith to walk out, let me, let me pray for us and ask God, by your Holy Spirit, would you flow among us, Holy Spirit, and awaken us to the love of Jesus that's accessible to all of us today? Jesus, would you open our eyes to the reality of just how much you love us and how you've been longing to like reconnect in a new way to those of us that have known you for a long time and we think that we've kind of arrived at a deep place of love, would you just show us that next level? Because we don't want to be stuck where we are in what we think is your love. We want to go beyond that into deeper levels of heart connection and first love experience with you, Jesus. That's what we're after. God, your spirit, would you take these things from our minds to our hearts? Jesus, help us to be a church of the first love. So come, kneel, express your heart to Jesus. Come by faith, step out and say, Jesus, I want deep, deep first priority love with you.
step out and say, hey, look, we want more. We want more. We're not satisfied with where we're at. We're not satisfied with the religion. We want deep first love. We want to experience the same stuff that Teresa talked about where she was like in ecstasy. Connection with you. First love. Like getting newlyweds, like older people who haven't seen each other for months on end as they reunite. We adore you. Could we sing that together just for a minute? And before we start singing that, would you guys just in your own words, in your own hearts, in your own prayers, there's something that only you can say to Jesus right now that he wants to hear from you. Would you just say that to him and express your love for him personally, one-on-one? And then here in just a minute, we're gonna sing some words of adoration. We're gonna sing... Oh, come, let us adore him. at this place except you Jesus and all of us bow before you not out of like a drudgery or dutiful but because we love you and Jesus I see your love just permeating people today 
And I can't help but think that you're drawing some kids to yourself. You know, there's someone here that thinks that you're waiting in heaven with a hammer for him, but you're saying the opposite. You're saying, no, I want you to find love. And you've looked for love through all kinds of stuff, but Jesus says today, no, it's through me. And if you've never had a relationship with God and you want one right now, I want you to just talk to him and just say something like this. In your own heart, just between you and God, look, God, I know I've screwed some stuff up. And God, I probably look for love in all the wrong places. But right now, my choice is to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and to give me your love. So I welcome you into my life. And God, the rest of us that have known you already, we're saying today, we're choosing to step into our first love. And we're never going to let it die down. And we're going to continue to seek it and you because you are the tree of life. And we choose today to eat from you so that we can experience you in more life. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and take it. Yeah, it's pretty good times, isn't it? Thank the Lord. He's so good to us, isn't he? Yeah, so uh, um, you guys go ahead and take a seat if you want to. And um, if you guys need to keep praying, you guys just stay down here and continue to pray. And don't worry about this. But um, look, if you need prayer with someone today, there's going to be a prayer tent outside. And the folks would be more than happy to pray with anybody who needs it just right outside today. Also, you can get involved in the tribe. There's a tent out there where you can go. We're going to continue studying through Revelation next Sunday, so make sure and come on back for that because we're going to look at the next church of the seven churches. So we hit with church number one today, and now we're going to church number two next week. Now, one of the things that we recognized last week is that if we live with the end in mind, you know what we also do? We give with the end in mind because Jesus, you know, God said in, in John three sixteen, you know, God of the world that he gave. And he gave Jesus, right? He gave his first fruit, you know, his best. And those of us that are trying to follow him, the best we know how, the best we can figure out is that we bring a first fruit tithe at the local storehouse of the church. Now, if you're not a Christian, we totally get, and we're not trying to like stick it to you or anything if you don't believe in all this. But those of us that are trying to follow him, we want to bring that first fruit tithe here at the storehouse and above. You know, we, we want to show our love through generosity and giving. And here's how to pull that off at City Tribe Church because we don't pass buckets or plates or anything. You can bring your tithes and offerings by mail. You just mail it into the P.O. box number that's on the, the screen. Or you can go online at citytribe.church slash tithe. And you can do it by text. If you text everything, you know, you can just text the number on screen and follow the instructions there. Or you can donate and give tithe in person at the giving stations that are located near the exits of the Cameo Theater. So before you guys take off, I really, I love you guys so much. I just want to speak some blessing on you. Would you let me do that? It's such an honor for me to do that. And so why don't you guys stand up together? And if you're with your crew, just kind of, you know, put your arm around your crew or whatever, and then uh, put a hand out and in a position to receive. And I want to just speak some blessing over you guys today. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, May you not walk from here like Nicolaitans or goats, but you walk from here in your identity in Christ. Walk from here with a passionate love of newlyweds, love for Jesus. Walk from here like the old couple that reunites after being apart during quarantine. Walk from here with love Love, love with the end in mind. Walk from here with your first love. We'll see you guys next Sunday. You guys have a great week. Bye now. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.